The Lord said, had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with content. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the oak of Moreh. At that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev. So that's why I wrote it down and gave it to you. And that's why you should read Genesis, because it's complicated, and there's a lot of names. <clears throat> Let me pray for us, and we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for this space, this space in geographical space, but this space in time, this space here, this just moment where you're meeting with us. You're here. You're with us. Your arms around us. You're hearing our worship. You're comforting our hurts. You're challenging where we need to be challenged, and we ask that you meet us now and do that now. We ask this in his holy name. Amen. So um, I think I've said this before. We, we have this thing. Uh, I don't know whose idea it was where we name, I, I blame Shay, um, we name sermons. And they have to have a title. And it's the most stressful part of writing the sermon is, 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 is coming with the title and sending to Shay. So sometimes Shay makes them up for me because I, I didn't have one. Um, but th this whole set, you'll find over the weekend, they're not very imaginative. But this one is called The One Where God Calls Abraham. <laughs> because that's what we're going to talk about. So that's what it's called. Now, the big story of, of Genesis includes God making this good creation. This creation is then marred by the, the human fall into sin. But God's still active in this world to redeem mankind and all that they affect. He wants to bring the world to, to final judgment and fruition on that final day. So that's kind of where we are. So if you were here there last Sunday, this is about 10 generations on. And about as many chapters, actually, since, since we talked about last Sunday. So what's happened since then is man has become actually more evil. And God has begun to, has begun to lament his creation he starts making these plans to destroy humankind completely. Noah comes in. Okay, so this is where we're kind of tracking a little bit. He reaffirms his covenant with the rainbow. Remember that part of the story? And then the Tower of Babel happens, and they try and build this tower. Because of their arrogance, the people are scattered. Then, 
comes the story of Abraham. So that's where we are in this Genesis loop, because if you haven't read Genesis recently, or if you haven't read it at all, or you don't know much about it, you, someone says Genesis, you think creation story, and maybe Adam and Eve. And if someone said, where's Abraham in the Bible, you may not be able to, to, to answer that quickly, but there's a lot of people in the Bible, that, sorry, in Genesis, that are really worth spending some time on. So this is where Abraham is in, this, in, in, in that story. After him becomes, comes Isaac, this, his son, and after Isaac, Jacob, and then after Jacob, Joseph. And that's Genesis. But we're talking about Abraham, or Abraham as he's known um, to begin with. His name changes a bit later on. And prior to the passage that, that Sorel read is an account of a family from a place called Ur. And in that account, there's a lot more names. And it gets really confusing, which is why we didn't read it. Um, so to simplify, to get us there, the father of the family is named Terah. And then there's Abraham, one of his sons, and, and he has some other brothers scattered about. And Abraham's called Abraham at the time. And he's married to this woman called Sarai. She's later named, uh, renamed Sarah. It says that she was barren. She didn't have any children. And something happens. Terah, Abraham's father, decides to move the family toward Canaan. He's heard about the place, decides to move there. But he doesn't make it all the way out. He makes it to this place called Haran. And in Joshua 24, it says, Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. So Terah, Abraham's father, was an idol worshipper, not a follower of God. And people read this passage... And we read, probably because we're skipping over the names like we just did, and you think it's Abraham that, that, that did the big move, that he first moved to Haran and then on to Canaan. But actually, we see in Genesis 11 that it was his dad, Terah, who was the one that decided to make that move in the very first place. He got them part of the way down that journey. He starts to move them toward this place called Canaan, which is where God is going to want Abraham to be in his perfect plan, even though Terah is an idol worshiper, not a worshiper of God. So we don't know why he felt the need to make this move, whether he thought he'd be more successful in Canaan, whether there's a more romantic desire to be there, we don't know. But somehow God used him, even an idol worshiper, his father, Abraham's father, to get him in the right place for the right time towards God's vision and plan for his life, which goes to show that God can use anyone in your life. God had already begun the work of placing Abraham for his calling, putting him in just the place he needed to be before he'd even involved Abraham at all. The work had already been begun. And there's two things that happen that cause Abraham to be called the father of our faith. And the two things are he decides to move when God tells him to from Haran to Canaan. He decides to make that thing. He responds to that, that request. And he trusts God when God says, you're going to have a son. And that's pretty much it. That's the two main things that happen in the story of Abraham. Nothing fancy. They're just the simple truth of what God wants to do in this man's life. And sometimes we, what we think are big accomplishments, they're not that big. Sometimes what we think are small things are huge things to God when we put our faith in him. So what was maybe seemingly small to Abraham at the beginning becomes an incredible step of faith. Because when the task seems insurmountable, the thing is, just do the next thing. And I, I've told this story before. I, I don't have that many stories. I've told this story before about climbing Kilimanjaro in Africa. It takes days. 
trekking up. It's not physically difficult particularly, but the altitude is quite challenging. So you walk really slowly to acclimatize as you go, and you, you hike up, I don't know, some days and then down again. And then uh, at the top, you, you finish, you, you, you stop at this last um, hut and have dinner or something, and you hike through the night to reach the summit for sunrise. And there's a couple of reasons. One, because it's pretty. And you want to be on the summit of the volcano for sunrise, because it's pretty. And the other is because you want to hike up the frozen, loose rock while it's frozen at night, because it's easier than run walking up you know, loose scree. And so you're hiking this thing. You haven't showered in a week. You haven't slept in 24 hours. I haven't slept in 24 hours. You hadn't eaten because of altitude sickness. And you're walking through this freezing, cold altitude. And you just have to take the next step and keep going. Don't think about how far is left. Don't think about how high it looks. Don't think that you can't see the top right now. Just keep going. Can you climb the mountain? I don't know. It looks pretty big. But can I take one more step? Yeah, I can take one more step. Can I take another? Yeah, I can take another. I can take one more step. Following God's call can seem like a mountainous task, but taking one more step is manageable. And the story of Abraham shows us how to live out the calling that we have one step at a time. And the story of Abraham in Genesis 12 through 25 is built around six conversations that um, God and Abraham have. It's this constant dialogue they have. God says something, and Abraham does something. God says something, and Abraham does something. And it's really powerful. God and Abraham talking to one another. It's so powerful, in fact, that everybody gets involved. All of a sudden, God and, and Hagar are talking. And then God and Lot are talking. Everybody involved in Abraham's life is in contact with God because of the power of this man's faith. There's something to aspire to there. Everyone who comes in contact with us somehow gets involved in talking about God. Amazing. Even talking to God because of our lives, because of our witness, because of our example. And that's what happened in Abraham's life, and it can happen in yours. Abraham's partnership with God had power because he took those simple steps. He engaged in the conversation, and the ripple effect was huge. And that step for Abraham, that first step, started with leaving for the promised land. God spoke to him in Genesis 12. He said, I want you to go, I want you to leave, I want you to be in a different place. And it echoes this in Hebrews 11. It says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. This bit's key. He went without knowing where he was going. Has God ever asked you to go someplace and you didn't know where you were going? In Abraham's life, it was like going to the promised land. And he had to leave some things behind. God said, leave your native country, leave your relatives, leave your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Now, I don't want to sound dramatic. Well, maybe I do want to sound dramatic because it's more interesting. Um, but there's been a few moments in my life, Shay and I, where we have felt to call, call to go where we didn't know where God was leading. Um, in fact, we felt called to come to what ended up being LMCC and, and New York City. We didn't know that then. The thing we were doing was coming to an end, and we had this God-given conviction that we should sell the house. We should sell most of what we owned and trust God beyond that. We did all that before we knew where we were going, before anything was said. And one day we were, um, we were in the car together, the kids must have been at school or something, and um, we were reading scripture together and we were, we were praying through what the next thing would be and, and just trying to sense, like, is, is, are we both on the same page? Are we just knee-jerk? How do we feel about this? And, and, um, 
And because we, we thought we'd stay in this house in that place forever. We thought, this is beautiful. We can stay here forever. It's so beautiful part of the world. We'd hiked to everything. It, it just, but we felt such peace with this idea that we came up with both in isolation. So we're in, this, in the car, in our minivan, at the lake, praying for a sign. Praying with our, with our coffees and our Bibles. It was really cute. <laughs> praying for a sign. Praying for confirmation. Like, this, this, is this right? Show us. God, show us. And then someone hammered on the window of the car, which scared the signs and wonders out of me. Like, you won't believe. And he's like, the dog, my dog's drowning. My dog's drowning. So I get out. We run to the dock. And his dog, had, who was blind, had fallen off the, the dock. So it's sad that the dog was blind. Sorry, I, I said that with disdain. <laughs> the dog was blind. Um, and it somehow got its leash like, wrapped around the dog. So it was, I know, it was being strangled in the water and it couldn't see. I know, Avery, it's terrible, it's terrible. So I had to then help this. I'm like lying on the dock and I'm trying to pull the dog back into the pe thing that we're, and then I said, I'm gonna have to get in the water in a minute. And this is, oh, this dog can't even see. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Is this worth it? Ah. So anyway, I, I, I managed to hold this dog probably weighed, I don't know, 500 pounds. I, I don't know. I don't know how much dogs weigh. I don't know about dogs. And I like, ripped my shirt and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and, um, and the dog was fine and whatever. And still couldn't see. I mean, that, that was fine. That's, it wasn't fine, but it was not drowning anymore. Um, and so that happened. And I don't... I want to say, like, hey, there was this beautiful sign that God gave us when we were praying. Um, I don't think that's what happened, but it's a fun story. Um, we commented on the irony, though, of us having this peaceful coffee together in the car, in this calm, prayerful, cute way. And then the world just breaking in and being like, oh, this is very cute. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very peaceful, very good. But there's stuff to do. There's needs happening, and we got to move. So, yeah, it's good that you want to be shorn. It's good that you want to listen, but it's time. You know, let's go. And I might be stretching the dog story a little bit, but you know what? Who knows? We don't know. We don't know what happened to the dog. But in a very similar, but very different time that didn't require pod storage or escrow accounts or flights across the country, God places this call on Abraham's life to step out in faith without all the answers. Just the next step in mind. Because you can't be a partner in the work of the gospel by listening to a sermon or simply reading a book or be engaging in a study. You can't achieve a certificate in partnership. To embrace partnership, you have to experience God's call on your life. And at some point, you have to respond to that call and step out of the boat onto the waves. And God's call on our lives has this sort of person-to-person -person quality to it. It's very, it's very personal experience. It may be through someone else, that may happen, or an experience may be with others in the same room, but it speaks to you differently. It gives you a sense of God's call, of God's call in your, in your life. That personal sense of God has something to say to me. You can't just read it in a factual way. It doesn't work like that. It's a personal experience that you have to kind of seek. That's how Abraham experienced it. And we see from Abraham that God's call is an, is an experience of a clear direction. God comes and says, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family. Go to the land that I will show you. So God may not give all the directions you'd like. Sometimes. Oftentimes. He doesn't say exactly where you're going to be. He says, go to the land I will show you. We always say, well, show me now and then I'll go. 
And we were praying about, this is back in Washington, we were praying about our next steps. The house is on the market, maybe it's old, I can't remember. And we had folk praying over us and, and, and you know, people saying, oh, I, have this, I have this vision, we've been praying, I have this vision, and I, I see you guys in, in a kitchen and, and people coming around the, you know, the table and eating a meal with this big group. And I'm like, that's beautiful, that's beautiful. Can you see anything else? Like, is there mail on the table with like a zip code? <laughs> or can you see trees outside? What, can you see anything? Because we want to know, but the idea of not knowing anything is, is vulnerable and terrifying, but that's not the way God does it. But he does give clear direction. So I was um, praying about um, the move and, and what we do next and, and what the, the last thing meant and all that kind of stuff. And I was sitting at the river, this other river. I know a lot of things at rivers. Um, I don't know why. Um, I was in the river, and um, I, I think I told this story before too, and I was re- reading scripture, and I, I just felt like God say, hey, you know, let's get in the river. And I was like, this is going to be beautiful. And I'm going to stand in the river, and I'm going to hear God's voice tell me what we're going to do next, and it's going to be amazing. So I, I take off my shoes, whatever, and um, I go into the river, and this, this river is like snow melt, and it's freezing. And I make it to the middle of the river, and it's not very deep. It's like, I don't know. I'm not, apparently not very good at weights and distances. It's really deep. No, it's, it's, it's here. So we go in the river, and, um, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to wait. I'm just going to wait here until God speaks. That's what I'm going to do. And after about, like, four seconds, I'm like, nope. No. No, it's way too cold. There's, no, there's no way. And I, and I like, stumble out of the river, and I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And that's when I hear God's voice say, no, you can't, Phil but I can. I'm not going to tell you where, but what I want you to do is allow the river to take you. And there was a whole kind of idea and and, and I'd say vision, but um, a story around the river and the power of the water and allowing the current to take you. And I think that's what God wanted to teach us, Jay and I, like, hey, you don't know what's around the bend of that river. You don't know what's, what's over there. You don't know what's, what, you, what, what difficulties might come. Just allow the river to do its thing. The river has the power. You don't. No, you can't do it on your own. The river has the power. We may not always have all the information, but there's a powerful command in God's call. Like God comes to Abraham, and he doesn't say, Hey, Abraham, have you thought about moving? You ever considered that? Abraham, I'd like your opinion on a possibility of a move in your life. Any thoughts? No, God says, leave, go, move. And he does that because he loves us, because he knows what's best for us. It's God saying, this is what you need to do in your life. And in my experience, it doesn't feel like we're being pushed around by God. It doesn't feel like that at all. It feels like God wants to be intimately involved in the very details of our lives. And that he's got a plan, a powerful plan that takes a powerful command to accomplish it. So it's an experience of of God's powerful command. And in in that command of God's call, it includes an incredible promise too. I'm always very skeptical of people I'm actually very skeptical of people, but I'm skeptical of people who say they experience a command without experiencing a promise. The idea like, well, God says I have to do this. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to like it. I'm going to do it anyway. Because that's not the call that I've experienced. I might know it's going to be difficult. That, that might be on the cards. Then, then, there may be lots of unknowns. I may sense great challenge or actually maybe even great pain ahead. In my experience, and Abraham's experience of God's call, there's a deep sense 
a promise that God is going to use my life somehow, that God is going to do something unimaginable, something great, something I wouldn't understand yet, and that's why I don't know yet. For Abraham, he says, go, leave. That's the command. Then he says, I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So it is good to look for God's promise for your life as you experience his calling. And expect that God's call will have an experience of, of instant change because everything changes when God calls, when God's call comes into your life. Everything changed for Abraham in an instant. He heard that call and his life was different. And Abraham is a perfect example of it's being never too late to change. We moved from Washington State with a family of five when he was, I don't know, two, I think. People thought we were crazy. We might have been. Abraham was 75 years old. 75. And he took his whole family on this journey. You're never too old. People say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but we're not dogs. And this isn't a trick. You're a creation of God, and he has a special purpose for each of your lives. It's never too late to change. It's never too late to change. So don't let anyone tell you different. And that's what it's like to hear God's call. You don't hear it every week. Every time you hear it, it doesn't affect every aspect of your life, perhaps. It might affect one area or the other. Sometimes, maybe every area. Partnering in the gospel work is not just for pastors. It's not just for preachers, not for, just for people who lay hands on, on others at the back of service. It's for every believer in Jesus Christ. So what's God doing in your life? What's he saying? He hasn't spoken that way in my life every week or every month or every year, perhaps. But when was the last time you heard God's call clearly? When was the last time you took the time to listen for it? And if it came, what would you do? Abraham is an incredible example to us about the kind of faith we have to have. But if you're thinking like, well, I know God's call when it comes. I don't want to miss it. Yeah, you'll know. You can't mistake the Father's voice if you take the time to listen. The most difficult thing about God's call is it takes us to places that we've never been before, which makes us not want to respond, which maybe some of you are kind of right there. God's called your life. There's a call on your life. I want you to do this. You're saying no because you don't know where it's going to take you, and that's scary. But look at Abraham's example. Under a place he'd never been before, a place he didn't know where God was taking him, just takes that one more step. Because if you want to walk on water for Jesus, you have to step out of the boat. You have to take those fears and doubts with you. Abraham steps out into the unknown. He doesn't even follow God's call perfectly. He doesn't do exactly as God asked. Because God said, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family. Go to the land I'll show you. And I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you, make you famous. You'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who treat you with contempt. Every, every family will be blessed through you. So Abraham departs, as the Lord instructed. And Lot went too. Huh. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he'd taken to his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. He didn't do what God asked. Not exactly. 
He didn't take, he didn't leave all of his father's household behind. He took his nephew, Lot. He didn't follow God's command, but God let him. He let Abraham take Lot. It's not like God said, stop, hang on, do it again. God leave him behind, start from the beginning. But he did begin to show him exactly why, through circumstances and experiences, God had said what he'd said. And in the case of Lot, we find out that he's kind of a headache to Abraham. It's kind of a disaster for Lot to be in the promised land. Looks okay at first, looks okay for a long time, but it ends in disaster because God knew better. And he'll often let us do things that he's told us not to do. So don't get too wrapped up in making sure you're stepping out in faith perfectly. Don't spend too long in the car waiting for that call. Is this the right thing? Maybe just jump out of the boat. One of the best ways that, we, that God teaches us is to let us see the results of the things that, that, he t- that we do that he told us not to do. That's how kids learn, incidentally. Let them see the results of doing the wrong thing. It's a great lesson, like, I don't know, t- touching something hot to not doing homework, being around the wrong friends, whatever it is. Uh, Mabel, our middle child, um, she does not enjoy homework much. She's six. Um, six, yes. And um, we were in this battle of how much you do homework. And, and, and I was like, I'm kind of done with this. I was like, look, here's the deal, Mabel. I'm, I'm out. It's up to you. <laughs> if you want to do it, let's do it. And if you don't, let, you have to go and tell your teacher that you just didn't want to do it. And then you can deal with the consequence of what that means for you to just say, I didn't want to, and I just refused. And she sat for a second and thought about it and pictured like what that would look like. She said, Dad, yeah, it's worth it. Let's tell her. (laughs) When we respond partially, uh, often God lets us do our thing and then teaches us. But when it gets hard, we can learn from Abraham what we should do when we face barriers. We're trying to follow God's call. Because Abraham faced two pretty big ones. And it shows us that just because you face something hard doesn't mean that God's not calling. Anyone who's followed God's call has faced these barriers, these hard things on the way to doing what God wanted them to do. God allowed Abraham to immediately get into two different situations. First, he faced the Canaanites in the land. Secondly, a famine. The Canaanites were foreigners that were already there. And Abraham's supposed to live in this land, but take the whole thing over with his family. And he's supposed to be the family of all nations. But there's all these people there seems to be an obstacle. So there's too many obstacles to complete the plan that he thought was in place. And he faced a famine in the land. This is the promised land. This doesn't make any sense. God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be famous. Abraham moves in. There's not even enough food to feed his small family. There's too few resources going on. Too many obstacles and too few resources. And this happens all the time. When you get on track with God's call in your life, and you see this through the Bible, you'll face those two things, too many obstacles and too few resources. Too many obstacles to get this done because if God wants to do it, if it was a matter of human energy, it wouldn't need God. And you're going to face the feeling of too few resources because God wants to do it not on your resources but on his. Now, as it turns out, Abraham fails one of these um, tests, these barriers, passes the other one. Um, and the one he passes comes the Canaanites in the land. He builds his altar, worships God, and hears God make the promise again. This is a great example. When you're facing obstacles to God's promise in your life, God's call in your life, you do something practical. You recognize God's presence in that moment. It might be prayer. It might be talking to someone who's another believer in that place. It might be going to a river. 
or pick up a stone. This is a stone from that river. You do something that says, I know God's here. I know God is working. Do something practical that you can hold to. And once you've done that, you listen. In Abraham's case, he received what you will receive, a new, fresh vision of God's promise. Even though the Canaanites were there, God said, Abraham, the land is yours. My timing's perfect. Just wait for my timing. And in Romans 4, it says clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. So where in your life are you trusting God to keep his promise? With kids, ministry, marriage, work, friendships? Where are you actively trusting God to keep his promise? What is the boat that you need to step out of to follow him? Because God has a call on your life. So when God says go, are you ready to respond? Let's pray. Father, it feels almost overwhelming to know that we're called by you, that you have a plan, an intricate plan for our lives, that you want to partner with us, that you want us to be a part of this incredible work, but you do. And so we ask you, we plead maybe, that you speak to us. You show us that calling. You show us the way. Where is that next step? Where do we each need to step out of our own boat, out of our own way, to fulfill what you have planned for us? Father, we ask you give us the strength and the courage and the conviction to follow you, to partner with you, to hear your call. Amen. We're going to continue, and we're going to respond in worship just now, but we're going to continue this idea of of calling. And and tomorrow morning, um, I want us to look at Jacob and how he wrestled with with control with God and how he needed to give that up and how we do the same thing. So I'm excited to to dig in a little bit more to Genesis tomorrow morning. But um, let's respond in worship now and, and what God is saying. But spend that some of the time. And whatever works for you on a Friday night after a long week, listening, what is God saying to you? What boat are you in that you need to step out of? What comfort are you unwilling to let go of? Are you listening to his voice? Can you hear him ask? Because he wants to meet with you.